0: Section Five of I Am a Cat by Natsume Soseki, translated by Kanichi Ando. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Eastman. Chapter Two Continued. Mister Mate's singular experience was to the following effect. To the best of my recollection, it was on the twenty-seventh of last December that I received a note from that Tofu requesting me to stay at home, as he would call upon me in order to hear me talk on literary subjects. So I waited from the morning, expecting his visit at any moment. But he came not. After lunch I sat before the stove to read a humorous work by Barry Payne. In the course of my reading a letter came from my mother at Shizuoka. It contained several kind advices, For instance, she urged me not to have night outings during the cold season, and that if I wanted to take a cold bath at all, I had better take it in a room warmed by a stove, lest I should catch cold. Poor old mother! She thinks of me as still a boy. Thrice I blessed my parent, for who could be so affectionate and kind? Happy-go-lucky as I am, I was never so much moved as I was then. Her letter also made me feel ashamed of my idle life, and inspired in me a resolution to turn over a new leaf. I was bound to devote myself to a great literary work such as might do credit to my house. Yes, I must strive, I said to myself, to cut a figure in the literary world of the Meiji era while my mother is on this side of the grave. She further said, that I was born under a lucky star to be able to lead a careless, indolent life, even in the busiest time of the year, as if always in a festive season, while tens of thousands of young men were now, since the outbreak of the war with Russia, fighting hard for this land of Mikados. But the fact is, I am not as idle as my mother thinks. She also added a list of the names of my old schoolmates who were either killed or wounded on the field. When I scanned their names one after the other, a strange sensation of sadness crept over me. I felt weary of the world, and human life seemed a burden. The letter wound up with the sentimental conclusion, I am so stricken in years that the cup of next New Year's Zoni may prove to be my last one. I felt the more wretched, and in vain looked every instant for the diversion of a visit from Tofu. Finally supper hour came. After the meal was over, I thought I would write an answer to my mother, and penned some dozen lines. Her letter measured more than six feet, but not being energetic enough to follow her example, I usually excused myself by sending her an answer consisting of ten lines or so. As you know, I stayed indoors all day, and so from want of exercise I began to feel unwell. If Tofu comes, let him wait till I return, I said to myself. Thus decided, I went out for a stroll, with my letter to post on the way. Instead of going in the direction to Fujimi-cho as usual, my steps were strangely turned towards dote Sambancho, for some reason unknown even to myself. It was a cold, cloudy evening, with a biting wind blowing direct from over the moat. A train came rushing along from the direction of Kagura and whistled away below the embankment out of sight. A thrill of loneliness passed through me. Nevertheless, my brain was whirling with varied ideas, such as ringing out of the old year, death on the battlefield, decrepitude, fatality, etc., I had heard of many men who launched into eternity by hanging themselves, and thought they were probably beckoned by death at such times. I chanced to raise my head, and to my surprise found myself right under the identical pine-tree. The identical pine-tree? What do you mean? interrupted my master. I mean the hang-head pine-tree, responded Mr. Maytay shrugging his shoulders. Why, that is on Konodai, isn't it? Put in Mr. Kangetsu, and widened the circle of the narration. The one on Konodai is Hang-Bell Pine-Tree, and that at dote san Hang-Head Pine-Tree. And the reason why it came to be known by that name is according to an old tradition that anyone who happens to stand under the tree is sure to feel like hanging himself. Any case of suicide in the neighboring locality is sure to be found connected with this particular tree, though there are many scores of pine trees on the bank. In fact, every year sees two or three victims. And it is a curious fact that no one seeks the means of self-destruction from the other trees. I looked up and saw its arm invitingly spread across the road. Oh, it was of such a complete shape, that I thought it a pity to leave it as it was. How fine it would be, thought I, if only there were a man swinging by the neck. I looked around in the hope that someone might come. As ill luck would have it, there was not a soul to be seen. Under the circumstance, I felt half inclined to try the job myself. The next moment, however, it occurred to me that I should be risking my life by the attempt. This kept me from the adventure. But I remembered that the ancient Greeks used to perform a trick of hanging at a feast by way of additional entertainment. One man would stand on a stool and put his neck into a loop of rope. Instantly the stool was kicked out by another. As quick as lightning, the first performer loosened the loop, and down he came on the floor. This was the process of their feat, Admitting this to be an actual truth, I thought there was no reason why I should be afraid to imitate it. For experiment's sake, I caught hold of the branch, which yielded to my weight, and in such an artistic way, too. The thought of swinging buoyantly by the neck sent a thrill of inexplicable delight through me, and I determined to realize the sensation at all hazards. At this critical moment, I accidentally recalled Tofu, who might be missing me at my house at that moment. I was sorry to keep him waiting, so I thought I might as well put off my experiment, until after I had the chat with him, as previously arranged, and I ultimately started for home." "'And so ends your story?' asked my master. "'It's very entertaining,' said Mr. Kongetsu, grinning. When I returned home, I learned that Tofu had not come, but found a postcard instead, in which he said that on account of an unavoidable engagement he was unable to come to see me that day, but that he would call some day after the beginning of the new year. I drew a breath of relief, for now I could hang myself in peace. With my heart leaping with joy, I instantly put on my wooden clogs, and hastened back to the spot with flying feet. Here he abruptly stopped, and kept glancing at his friends' faces with a singular composure. "'What happened then?' asked my master, with an expression of impatience. "'Ah, your story is becoming exciting,' said Mr. kongetsu playing with the strings of his haori. "'What did I see?' resumed Mr. Meite. "'A man hanging from the very branch!' with the difference of only a step or two, I was forestalled by him. Wasn't it a pity? I think now that I was led there by the hand of death. Such a man as Professor James would have said that this was an instance in which something worked in the subconscious world with more than usual activity, causing this peculiar phenomenon to emerge above the margin of consciousness, in which death seemed such a desirable thing." Without any apparent cause. At any rate, it was the strangest experience I ever had, concluded Mr. Meitei, with as calm an air as possible. My master, thinking he was taken in again, remained silent, munching Kuyamochi mochi with which he had filled his mouth. Mr. Kangetsu was gingerly smoothing the ashes of the firebox with the tongs, his head bent down there lingered the same smirk on his face. "'I dare say your adventure was out of the common run,' he said, after a while in a very quiet tone, and would be thought beyond the bounds of possibility by most people. But for my part I do not for a moment doubt it, since I myself had a similar experience lately. "'And you also felt inclined to hang yourself?' "'No,' not hanging in my case. But the thing also happened at the end of last year. What's more, it fell upon the same day, and about the same hour as yours. Isn't this a wonderful coincidence?' "'Really it is,' answered Mr. Mete, cramming Kuyamochi into his mouth, after my master's example. On that day a bonan-kwai and a concert were held at the same time, had a friend of mine's who lives at mukojima i attended the meeting carrying my violin with me it was a rare success for everything was admirably arranged and besides the company included some fifteen wives and daughters from fashionable society when the repast as well as the concert was over we were engaged in a desultory conversation until late at night i was about to take my leave when dr a's wife approached me and asked in a whisper whether I knew of Miss B.'s illness. This question struck me, for when I had seen her two or three days before the meeting, she was in her usual state of health, and not a sign of indisposition about her. I asked the lady for detailed information of her condition, and this is what she told me. Miss B. was suddenly attacked with fever on the evening of the day I saw her, and would incessantly talk in delirium. And what was worse, my name would not unfrequently escape her lips. Not only my master, but Mr. Mayte listened attentively, not venturing to throw in such a trite remark as, "'Halloo, you are to be envied!' A doctor was sent for. Medical examination showed that although he could not specify the disease, her brain was affected by the intense fever, and in case the soporific administered should not produce the desired effect on her, the case might have a serious turn. The moment I heard this news, I experienced a peculiar thrill of uneasiness. As in a terrible nightmare, I felt weighed down by something heavy, as if the very air were suddenly turned into solid matter, and were hemming me in on all sides. While on the way home, my brain was still distracted with what I had heard, and I felt as if my heart would break. To think that such a beautiful, cheerful, and healthy young lady as Miss B. Excuse my interrupting you, but I remember we have already heard Miss B. used twice. If there is no objection, I should like to hear her real name, wouldn't you? said Mr. Maytay, turning to my master. Yes, was the dull reply. Allow me, please, to have it untold, as it belongs to a personal affair. Ah, you are going to throw us off the scent, then. No jesting, if you please, for it is a story of a serious nature. Well, her sudden prostration forcibly reminded me of lovely flowers threatened to be blown by a gust of cruel wind. This thought preyed on my heart, and made me as downcast as if all the life and spirit in me had come to a standstill all at once. With almost staggering steps I came as far as Azuma Bridge, where I helplessly leaned over the railing and looked down. I could not discern whether the tide was rising or falling. It seemed to me that only a black mass of water was in dull motion. A jinriksha came running from Hanakawado and rolled past over the bridge. I followed the light of its lantern with my eyes, as it grew smaller and smaller, until finally it was lost at the Sapporo Beer Brewery. I turned my eyes upon the water again, when my ear caught the sound of a voice calling me from far up the stream. Who could it be, I thought, that is calling my name at this late hour? In wonder I cast a glance over the dark waters, but could distinguish nothing. Concluding it a delusion, I soon started on my way. I had scarcely taken two steps, however, before I heard the same faint voice calling my name from a distance. I stopped again, and listened with attention. When I was called for the third time, I caught hold of the railing for support, my knees smiting each other. That mysterious voice, which seemed to proceed from far, far away, or from the depths of the waters, proved to be no other than that of Miss B.'s. Yes, it was her voice, sure enough. "'Here I am!' I cried involuntarily, by way of response. I was surprised at my own voice, for it came out so loud that the still waters rang with its echo. I looked about me in amazement. There was not a shadow of a man nor a dog, even the moon being hid in a cloud." IT WAS AT THAT MOMENT THAT AN OVERWHELMING DESIRE FLASHED ACROSS MY MIND, TO BE WRAPPED IN THE SABLE MANTLE OF NIGHT, AND CARRIED TO WHERE SHE CALLED ME. AGAIN HER VOICE PIERCED MY EAR IN AN IMPLORING TONE, AS IF CALLING FOR MY HELP. I SHALL BE WITH YOU SOON, I REPLIED THIS TIME, AND BENDING OVER THE RAILING, FIXED MY EYES UPON THE BLACK SHEET OF WATER, FROM BENEATH WHICH THE VOICE APPEARED TO FORCE ITS WAY. It's beneath the waters, I thought, and eventually mounted the railing. Here I remained gazing fixedly upon the stream, ready to jump in at the next signal. Soon it floated up in a sad, feeble strain. Without a moment's hesitation I gave a vigorous leap, and a second after went down like a stone. "'So you actually plunged?' exclaimed my master, his eyes bulging in amazement. "'Little did I think you would go so far as that!' observed Mr. Métay, lightly pinching the tip of his nose. After that a stupor came over my senses, followed by complete unconsciousness. When I came to myself I was astonished to find that, though chilly, I was not a bit wet, nor did I feel as if I had taken in water." that I had made a bold plunge and admitted of no doubt. With gaping mouth I looked round to find the cause of the mystery, and when I did find it I could not believe my eyes for a moment. Instead of jumping into the water I had jumped by mistake upon the middle of the bridge. Imagine how sorry I felt then. By the mere mistake of direction I had not gone where the voice came from. Mr. Kangetsu concluded his story with a grin, his fingers, as usual, fumbling with the strings of his haori. "'Ha!' laughed Mr. Meitei. "'It's a very engaging story, and it's a wonder that your experience was of a piece with my own. That, too, would afford good material for Professor James. It would make an excellent study upon life, elucidating the susceptibility of the human mind." Surely it would cause a stir in the literary world. By the by, what about Miss B.'s illness?" he asked inquisitively. She seems to be quite well now, for when I made a New Year's call a few days ago, she was in her garden, playing Battledore and Shuttlecock with her maid, was the answer. My master, who had hitherto been lost in meditation, now suddenly opened his mouth, not to be beaten by such stories. I have, too. You have what? asked Mr. Meite, turning up his nose at him. I mean some such experience. Mine also occurred at the end of last year. How curious that all fell upon the end of last year! laughed Mr. Kangetsu. A bit of Kuyamochi was seen sticking to the edge of his broken tooth. "'And the same hour of the same day, eh?' jeered Mr. Meitei. "'No, the date seems to differ. "'It was on the twentieth, if I remember correctly. "'My wife asked me to take her to hear Gidayu sung by Setsu no Daijo, "'in lieu of making her osebo. "'I said I would not mind going with her, "'but that I would first like to know what drama was to be sung that day.' "'Unagidani,' said my wife, referring to a paper. "'That's a piece I don't like. Let's not go today. I replied. Thus we gave up the idea of going that day. The next day she came to me again with a paper in her hand, and said I would surely like to hear Horikawa, the piece for the day. That piece is intended more for its musical accompaniment than for its substance, as a lively performance on the shamisen makes up a greater part of the drama. "'We won't go,' said I." Thereupon she withdrew with discontented looks. Sanju Sangendo is to-day's performance, she said to me the following morning, and I am determined to hear it. You may not like this piece too, but I think you are going to give a treat, not to yourself but to me, and will be obliging enough to take me along with you. She pressed me hard. If you are so anxious to go, I may as well accompany you, I returned. BUT THE ANNOUNCEMENT THAT THIS IS HIS LAST APPEARANCE IN TOKYO IS DAILY BRINGING AN OVERFLOWING AUDIENCE, SO I BET YOU THEY WON'T ADMIT US IF WE GO UNEXPECTEDLY. IF WE WANT TO GO TO A PLACE WHERE SUCH PERFORMANCES ARE GIVEN, WE SHOULD FIRST APPLY TO WHAT ARE CALLED CHAYA, AND HAVE A SEAT PREVIOUSLY ENGAGED. IT IS NOT RIGHT TO IGNORE THE REGULAR PROCEDURE. I AM SORRY FOR YOU, BUT LET US NOT GO TODAY. Then my wife turned upon me a fearful glance, and said, I am an ignorant woman, and do not know of such difficult proceedings. But there are Mr. Ohara's mother, and Suzuki's kimiyo san who gained ready admission without taking any formal steps. Even though you may like regularity as teacher, there is little need for you to go to such trouble. You are so unkind to me. Her voice was sad and broken. Then you shall go with me though I fear disappointment will await us, I surrendered. Let us go by electric car after supper. No dilly-dallying, dear, we must try to get to the place by four o'clock, if we go at all, urged my wife, with a sudden flow of spirits. Upon my inquiry as to why we must be there by then, she repeated exactly what she had heard from Kimiosan, san saying that unless we get there by four and occupy our seats, we would be unable to find any vacant space. Then we can't get in if we go later? I laid stress upon my question. Of course not, was the reply. Strange to say, it happened at that very instant that a sudden fit of chill was experienced. By your wife? inquired Mr. Klingetsu. No, by me. My wife is always as hearty as can be, Like a balloon perforated, I felt myself shriveled all at once, and the next moment I was quite helpless with giddiness. "'It was a sudden attack,' put in Mr. Maytay by way of explanation. "'What a mishap! She seldom makes such a request of me, and I wished I could grant it willingly. All the more so, as I have never humoured her fancy, subjecting her to pecuniary concerns, and leaving the children all to her care.' Fortunately, I had time to spare, and a little pocket-money that day. I could have afforded to gratify her wish, and I meant to do so by all means. But what could I do with that chill and giddiness? I could hardly drag myself even to the porch, not to say anything of getting into an electric car. The sorrier I felt for her, the more chilly and giddy I became." Thinking immediate medical attendance would set me all right before the appointed time, I consulted with her, and Dr. Amaki was sent for. But the messenger came back with a disappointing reply, that he had not yet returned from the hospital, where he had been on duty the night before, but that as he was expected home at about two, he would be told to come to me at once. What a fix I was in! One thing upon another! If I had only taken a little Kyunin then, I should surely have got well before four. My expectation of enjoying her delighted face, so infrequently seen, was thus likely to be frustrated. Is it impossible for you to go? she asked with dejected looks. No, I will go anyhow, I replied. Keep your mind at ease, as I will try to get well by some means or other by the appointed time. In the meanwhile, go and make your toilet, and wait. Though I said so to keep up her spirits, my heart was in reality swelling high with intense emotions. The cold shudder was growing more violent, while my head whirled with increasing giddiness. If by any chance I should not recover by four to keep my promise, there would be no knowing what she would do, this excitable woman. How could I get out of this embarrassment? A vague dread of unforeseen evil set me thinking that I had better explain to her, ere it was too late, the vicissitudes of fortune, as well as the mortality of the human life. In so doing I might prepare her for the worst, and this was, as I thought, what a man should do for his wife. I instantly called my wife to my study and asked if she knew the common English proverb which says, "'There is many a slip, twixt the cup and the lip.' "'How could I?' she retorted brusquely. "'You know I have not even a smattering of English, "'and you use that tongue on purpose to tease me. "'Go on and use it as much as you like. "'I am a poor ignorant woman after all. "'If you like English so much, why didn't you select your spouse "'from among graduates of a mission school, I say you are one of the most unfeeling and inconsiderate men I ever saw." She was so piqued that the wind was entirely taken out of my sails, and made me stop short of my intention. I wish to have you understand that my reference to the English proverb originated not from mischief, but from affectionate regard for my wife as is to be imagined, it was intolerable to be thus misunderstood by my wife. The fact is, my brain was in a state of disorder from the chill and giddiness, and besides, I was so precipitate in demonstrating to her the important problem aforesaid, that I momentarily forgot she was no English scholar, with the result that I made mention of the proverb unconsciously, I soon found on reflection that I was careless, and the fault was entirely my own, and this feeling made my condition doubly bad. My wife, as was directed, went to the bathroom, where she busied herself with her toilet, and was soon ready to start at any time. I swallowed a big lump in my throat, and looked for the instant arrival of Dr. Amaki. My watch indicated three only one hour to four. The hinged door opened, and my wife peeped in, saying, What do you say to setting out presently, though a little early? Ludicrous as it may sound to admire my own wife. I never saw her appear so lovely as she was then. She was all in a glow with the fresh toilet she had made, contrasting beautifully with her howry of black crepe. For two reasons, material and immaterial, her face shone bright. The one, the effect of her soap. The other, the hope of hearing Setsu sing. I had only to make up my mind to go, in order to give her satisfaction. Let me pluck up my courage and start then, I answered, and blazed away at my pipe. Just then the long-expected doctor came, and in good time, too, as I thought inwardly. When I told him how I came to feel unwell, he examined my tongue, felt my pulse, tapped my breast, rubbed my back, turned my eyelids down, stroked my scalp, and was lost in meditation for a time. "'It seems my case is rather serious,' I said. "'No such symptoms,' observed the doctor. "'Can he leave home for a short time?' inquired my wife. Well, yes, and he meditated again. Provided he does not feel too ill, he added shortly. I do feel ill, I put in. At any rate, I shall give you both powders and liquid medicine. If you please, sir, I don't know how it is, but I fear I shall have a turn for the worse. No, it's not so serious as that. I advise you not to be nervous. Saying this, the doctor left. It was past half-past three. The maid was immediately sent for the medicines. According to her mistress's strict order, she went and returned at a brisk trot. It was fifteen minutes to four. About this time I was affected all of a sudden with sickly languor. My wife poured the liquid medicine into a cup and placed it before me. I lifted it to my lips, when I felt a sensation of impending nausea, which made me put it down. "'Make haste and drink it,' my wife urged. I thought it wrong to keep her delayed any longer, so I put the cup to my mouth to drink its contents with one determined draught. But I was prevented again by the obstinate qualm. I repeated the same thing again and again, until the clock on the wall of the sitting-room struck four. "'It's four, there's not a moment to lose,' I said to myself, and again raised the cup. Then it was, wonderful to say, that the sickly sensation entirely left me, so that I could readily drink the medicine. Ten minutes more, and the reputation of the skilful doctor was amply justified, the cold shudder as well as the giddiness disappearing like a dream. I was delighted at the speedy recovery, from an illness which threatened me with confinement for some days. "'And you accompanied her to the Kabuki Theatre? came from Mr. Meite, who appeared to extract the point of the story. "'No, I wished to. But since we were not likely to obtain admission after four, as was the opinion of my wife, I was obliged to give up the idea. If Dr. Amaki had come fifteen minutes earlier, I could have shown her I was as good as my word on the one hand, and she would have been satisfied on the other. Only a fifteen minutes' difference caused this sacrifice. I still think now that it was really a critical juncture. My master, thus concluding, assumed an air of having done his duty. He probably thought he could now maintain his dignity towards his companions. What a pity to be sure! grinned Mr. Kangetsu, showing his broken tooth as usual. Mr. Meite, feigning admiration, said as if to himself, Your wife is indeed fortunate to find in you a devoted husband. A forced cough came from my mistress behind the paper slides. With quiet patience I listened to each of their stories, but I felt neither merry nor sad. Man is a poor creature at best. He wags his tongue even when he has nothing to say, laughs at what is not amusing, and takes delight in what is not interesting. All to kill time. This was my impression. I knew already that my master was selfish and narrow-minded. His customary silence, however, left me in doubt as to his real character, and in this point lay something like fear which I felt toward him. But upon hearing his story, this feeling gave place to sudden contempt. Why could he not silently listen to his friends' stories? What benefit could he derive from his gossip by way of competing with them? I wonder if Epictetus would have advised him to act in such a way. In short, my master, as well as Kangetsu and Mete, are all idle fellows, idly eating the bread of idleness. Like gourds idly swinging in the wind, they pretend to stand aloof from the world. In reality, however, they are worldly, mercenary, emulous, and unyielding, and these weak characteristics find occasional expression, even in their daily conversation and jokes. With but a step they come to a footing with those vulgar people whom they always rail in good set terms. They are miserable creatures in the eyes of a cat. If they have one thing to recommend them, it is their freedom from mincing airs of prigs. Thinking this, I suddenly became tired of listening to the conversation between the three men, and was only too glad to turn away from them, in order to go and look after Miss Mieke's health. I got round to the musician's garden. Ten days of the new year had passed. The spring sun was shining high in the azure vault, in which not a cloud drifted, bathing the whole world with his gentle bright rays. And the garden, of only about ten subo, presented more life and freshness than it did under the first light of the new year's morning. A cushion lay upon the veranda, but there was not a shadow of an occupant, the paper slides were all shut. Perhaps the music-teacher had gone to take a bath. Her absence was of no consequence to me, my sole concern being for Miss Mieke's condition. There was something like desertion about the house, which prompted me to get upon the veranda with my muddy paws. I lay down upon the middle of the cushion, which was so comfortable, the doziness came over me, and I soon fell asleep involuntarily drawing my thoughts from Miike. I was suddenly aroused from my slumber by the voices inside. "'Thanks for your trouble. Was it ready?' The music-teacher was not absent after all. "'I am sorry I was delayed. Yes, ma'am, I got it from the bushiya, who said he had it just ready.' "'Let me see it. Ah, it's done beautifully.' I think this will make and enter nirvana. The coating of gold does not come off easily?" No, ma'am. I asked the Maker emphatically about that particular point, and he assured me that as first-rate gold-dust was used, it would be more durable than man's ehi. He added that the character Homare, in her posthumous name, Neko Homare Shinyo, the spirit of the honorable cat, was conveniently simplified so as to make the whole look well-proportioned. Well, let me place it upon the altar at once, and burn incense before it. I wondered what had become of Miss Miki. Something unusual must have taken place in the house. I sprang up upon the cushion, when ding was heard the sound of a bell, and the musician's voice offering a prayer. NAMU, SHINYO, NAMU AMIDABUTSU, NAMU Butsu. Now you give mass for her. Ding! rang the bell again, and this time the maid's voice came. NAMU yoshin YOSHINYO, NAMU AMIDABUTSU, NAMU AMIDABUTSU. I felt a sudden throb of my heart, my eyes became fixed, and there I was standing on the cushion, spellbound like a statue. "'It is indeed regrettable, ma'am. "'She seemed to have had only a slight attack of cold in the beginning. "'Dr. Amaki should have administered medicine to her. "'Yes, the doctor is to blame, after all. "'He treated her so indifferently. "'You should not speak so ill of him. "'Perhaps she had such a destiny.' "'It seems that Miss Miki was also attended by Dr. Amaki.' At all events, I think it is that wicked cat of the teachers who lives in the front street that is chiefly accountable for our pet's death. He habitually enticed her out, you know. Yes, ma'am, the beast was certainly the cause of her destruction. I was about to attempt an explanation, but, recollecting, this was an occasion to be armed with patience, I listened on, holding my breath. There was silence for some time. It is the way of the world that we cannot have things just as we like. A beautiful cat, like Miki, dies an early death, while an ugly, mischievous beast like that of the teachers lives on. Exactly as you say! Hunt where you may. You can never find such a lovely cat as our deceased favorite. Favorite instead of a pet. The maid evidently thinks man and the cat are of the same race. And this is not so striking when we look at her whose very appearance resembles our race. If it had only been possible that in place of our beloved Mike, that Teacher's Nora had departed this life, all would have ended well and satisfactory. Not well and satisfactory to me. I have never experienced death, and therefore cannot say how I shall like it, But the other day I sought refuge from the severe cold in a hikesh The maid, not knowing I was there, put on the lid, and left me in terrible agony. Even now it makes my blood run cold when I reflect upon it. According to Mr. White's explanation, it would have been all over with me if my suffering had lasted a little longer. I would fain have died in place of Miss Mieke, but if death is necessarily accompanied by such awful agonies, I will not die for anyone's sake. I believe even the spirit of a cat will not linger when it has had mass offered by a priest and a posthumous name given. Yes, you are quite right, ma'am. The deceased is really to be numbered among the most fortunate. But I only wish, if there were anything to be added, that the priest had not been so sparing in his prayer. I also thought it too short, but when I inquired the reason, Reverend Kakeiji replied that he had read the choice text from the sacred books, and that it would be quite sufficient to make a cat enter paradise. Did he really? But such Nora! I have mentioned more than once that I have no name. Still, this maid dared call me Nora, insolent woman. But such Nora will not be saved, I am sure, by any divine benediction, as he is an old sinful beast. I do not know how many times this Nora was repeated after this, for I turned away from their endless chat. When I slipped off the cushion and jumped down from the veranda, I at once erected my 88,880 hairs, and gave myself a hearty shake. I have never since approached the music-teacher's house. By this time it is likely that she herself is being offered a sparing prayer by Rev. Kakeiji. I am not plucky enough to stir out of late, and feel wearisome of the world. I have become as lazy a stay-at-home as is my master. In fact, I begin to think it reasonable that his habit of keeping in his study can be ascribed to his supposed lost love. I have as yet caught no rats, and once even a question was brought forth by the maid to turn me out. But my master, who knows I am not an ordinary cat, would not accept such a proposal." and there I am in his house, still whiling away my time. In this respect I am very grateful to him, and at the same time I do not hesitate to express my admiration for his acumen. I am not much offended at the ill-treatment from the maid, who is unable to take in what kind of a cat I am. The day will come when a Yidari Jingoro would adorn temples and palaces with the carvings of my figure, and a Japanese steinlin would be glad to picture my features on canvas. Then it is that such a simpleton as the maid will be ashamed of her own short-sightedness. End of chapter 2 End of this excerpt from I Am A Cat by Natsume Soseki Translated by Kanichi Ando Recorded by Peter Eastman 2016